I think she'd be okay. Yeah. Well, good morning. Hey, it's uh, great to be back. I appreciate all your prayers this week. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, I was uh, sick and not able to be here. And uh, just to be real clear, last week I had a bad case of laryngitis. And it was actually a different problem than the voice problem that I've been struggling with all year. And so uh, I just wanted you to know that it wasn't like my voice was getting so bad all of a sudden I just couldn't speak one week. It was such a blessing to have a separate voice problem. So now I've got two. But uh, so I'm, I'm kind of healing up from that laryngitis today still, but uh, glad to be able to be here and looking forward to this time. Now, uh, so I want to know how we got Charger fans in the house. Any Charger fans? No, they're home watching the game, right? Right? So, okay. So uh, how about, uh, not to be Charger, a lot of Charger fans last, that makes that sense because the game starts at noon and so you'd still be here missing the first quarter. So, uh, so how about any New England fans? Okay, good. Thank you. Oh, there are a couple of fans. Okay, vote the winner, whatever. Um, and then any Dallas fans? That's too bad you lost last week. <laughs> All right. And, uh, and then, uh, how about Green Bay? Got a Green Bay? Uh, yeah, see, there's a lot of, last service too, a lot of Green Bay fans. Any New York fans? Okay, not, yeah, not so much. Yeah, we had one last service. Yeah, so we've got to, you know, Celebrate Recovery as a sport group for New York fans. I don't know if you want to <laughs> go to that, but. Uh, hey, well, uh, if you haven't figured it out, my name is Pastor Mike, and I'm so glad you're here. And especially if you're new today, I want to welcome you. And we're going to go into our time of teaching on a series on priorities. And inside your, your bulletin program, Weekend View, we call it all three, there's a white message note sheet that help you follow along as we go into our time of teaching. So I encourage you to, uh, to do that as we launch in. Let me, uh, let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, well, thank you for what you're doing here at our church and doing in our lives. And God, it's been an amazing year as as you are waking us up, you're calling us after you, you're creating a, a hunger and a passion in our hearts to know you, to follow you, to experience you. And Lord, today we know that today is just the next step in that journey. Every weekend we take another step in that journey together as a congregation. And so God, we pray that you'd come and you'd speak to us. We'd experience your presence today, moving, leading, teaching, guiding, and that you'd give us uh, the grace to follow and to what we're learning. As we pray this in your name, amen. So, it was one of the biggest crises that he would ever face uh, in his life as a leader. It only, it only been about four months since uh, God had rescued the nation of, Egypt, of uh, Israel out of Egypt. He'd led them out and supernaturally led them through the, the wilderness and to, through the Red Sea. And now they come to Mount Sinai. It's hard for him to remember what it felt like. Seems like it was a long time ago that God had appeared to him right at this very mountain in that burning bush for the first time. What was it, like a year ago, two years ago? Couldn't have been very long, but it seems like a whole nother life. He was just a shepherd and uh, watching the sheep. And God shows up one day and the, burning, the bush starts burning and he says he's got an assignment. Let's go down to, to Egypt, the superpower of the world, and rescue his people and bring them back. And he said that that one day that they would worship the whole nation right at this very mountain, Mount Sinai, exactly where the burning bush was. At the time, it seemed preposterous, unbelievable, and yet sure enough, three months to the day from the time they left Egypt, here they were at Mount Sinai. And now that they're here, God had showed up. He showed up big time. They'll never forget the day, the clouds that came over the mountain, and then the thunder and the lightning, 
the fire that descended down and became like a big chimney. The whole sky was lit up. And then he spoke, and they would never forget it. Never happened before, never happened since. God spoke those ten words, the kind of rules of their relationship. It was a day they'll never forget. They were scared down deep. It was hard to explain the presence of God, what it's like to be in the presence of God. It was powerful. It was overwhelming. It was spooky. And so they, they turned to their leader, to Moses, and they said, hey, we're all in. We want this God to be our God. We want to be his people. There's no question there, but, but this is scaring us to death. Could you just go up and get the rest of the details and bring them on back? And so he had, and that was a little over a month ago now, Honestly, they're wondering if he's still alive. I mean, after all, he'd gone up into that fireball, that cloud of smoke and fire, and was he still even alive? They're without a leader, and they're in the middle of the desert, and it's been over a month, and they're getting nervous, and they feel like they need a leader, and they're getting a little rowdy. So they come to his big brother, Aaron, and they said, hey, we don't know what happened to your brother, but we need a God to lead us. And down in Egypt, we went down, the Egyptians have these gods. They make them like little bulls or little calves, and we'd like to do that and worship that God because we need a God to lead us in this wilderness. And course, Aaron's not feeling very good about this. He knows that this is breaking law number one, law number two, and yet he's, he's afraid because he can sense a coup coming on. He can sense a revolt's about to happen, so he gives permission. And, and meanwhile, Moses up on top of the mountain with God. God cuts their, their session short that day. He tells them what's going on, and God is really irritated. He's really ticked off. In fact, he wants to wipe out the whole nation, start over again. Today we're, uh, we're continuing this series, and we started a couple weeks ago before I went AWOL. And, uh, and it's a series on priorities, and it's called Priority One, uh, putting the first thing first. And, and if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about this. I think that for most of us, especially if you're a, a Christ follower today, that it just makes sense to us. If we want to live life uh, to the fullest, we want to get the most out of life, that we have to start by getting our priorities straight. It just makes sense. And of all of our priorities, we intuitively sense our most important priority is, is our relationship with God. And we kind of get that. But we talked about this the last uh, couple weeks ago, that, that we can start off in life and we have the best of intentions, and all of a sudden we wake up one day and we're not sure how we got there, but uh, God is no longer priority one, and, and we're off in a distant land. And and no longer is God's blessing in our life. We don't sense his power. We don't sense his presence. We don't sense him leading us. And, and life's kind of falling apart. And we wonder, what happened? We started off with such the best of intentions. And that's exactly what was happening in the nation of Israel at the time of Haggai, the prophet. You see, they had just come back from 70 years of bondage, in, of exile in, in the land of Babylon. They're a miraculous series of events. God had brought the nation back. It was powerful. And when they first got back, then they were just into God. He was priority one. They're just loving him, wanted to please him as their top priority. And they got back, and so their first job was to rebuild the ancient temple that had been destroyed. And they were all into it. They took the big offering. They ordered the supplies. They laid the foundation. They had the ribbon-cutting ceremony. They're off to a great start. And then through, through a series of events we don't fully understand, somehow they got off track. They got distracted. And now it's 15 years later, and the temple is still lying in ruins. And meanwhile, their own lives have fallen apart. 
They'd come in with such high hopes. You know, God was with them. God was going to bless them. God was going to rebuild the nation. And they came back just expecting to get blessed. And it's 15 years into this experiment, and life's going bad. In fact, they can't even pay the bills each month. And life is not going the way they anticipated. And they can't figure out why this is happening. And so God raises up this prophet, his name's Haggai, to tell them, here's the situation. And the problem was, bottom line, is that their priorities had drifted. God was no longer number one in their life. They'd gotten focused in their own issues, their own agenda, no longer seeking God, no longer were they, was he their first love, no longer was he their deepest passion, no longer was he their highest purpose, but they drifted, and as a result, their life had fallen apart. And so today we're going to begin in chapter 1. If you turn your, your page or your note sheet, there's a section there called the chapter 1 of their story. And we're actually going to walk through chapter 1 and see exactly what happened. So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Haggai 1. And this would be a great time probably for most of you to use your table of contents. Because I want to get home to see the second half of the game. And so that would give us a better shot. It's only two little chapters, and so it's hard to find. So Haggai won. Let's, uh, let's see what happens. So in the second year of King Darius, now, the superpower of the day was Persia. And Israel still reported to Persia. And so, so that's why King Darius is on the throne, and they, they, they're going to date it from his life. The second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month. Now, you want to write this down in your Bible. The date is August 29th, 520 B.C. It's important. So the dates in this, this book are very important. So August 29th. So on that day, God speaks to this prophet named Haggai. We don't know a lot about him, but it says the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And it, it comes, first of all, to Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel was a descendant of David. He was the political leader of the nation. He was the, uh, 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 he was the governor of Judah. And so it says it came to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah. And it also came to Joshua. Now, Joshua was the spiritual leader of the nation. So notice it says it came to Joshua, uh, the son of Jehozadak. He's the high priest. Okay, so, so God has a message for the nation. He sends it to their two leaders, their political and their spiritual leader. And so here comes the message, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, in other words, the people of Israel, these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Now, remember, they've been back in the land for 15 years. It, over 15 years ago, they laid the foundation. It's been 15 years, and the temple is still in ruins. They got off track. And yet what they're saying is the time has not yet come. Not, not that we shouldn't do it, but it's just not time yet. And this becomes very important later on. We'll come back to that. And so the word of the Lord, verse 3, comes through the prophet Haggai. He says, is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? So when they first came back, top priority was rebuilding the house of the Lord to be the center of their worship. They could meet with God. That was top priority. But somehow over time, they had lost a vision for God's priorities. They'd gotten involved in their own priorities. Their own priorities were fixing up their own places. 
So they, in the last 15 years, they've been remodeling, putting cedar paneling, got their houses fixed up, but they'd lost the vision for what God was doing. And so in verse um, uh, 4, he says, Is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains ruined? So verse 5. Now, the Lord, uh, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, you'll want to underline that. On this short little book, there's going to be several times God says, I want you to give careful thought to your ways. Here's what he's saying. As we'll see in just a second, their priorities were all off. And their lives were falling apart. But they had not put two and two together and realized that one was causing the other. He says, I want you to step back from your life and take a big picture, look at your life. I want you to give careful thought to your life and see if you can connect the dots here, okay? So give careful thought to your life. Verse 6, here's her situation. You have planted much. So you've got a lot of fields. You're planting a lot of acres. But you've harvested little. You eat, but you never really have enough. The times are tough. Um, you drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. So you have some clothes, but not enough to keep warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, can I hear an amen on that one? It's like, we've all been there. Like, where did that money go? You know, like, hey, you know, wait, we, we had all this money at the start of the month, and we're out of, you know, we, we still have more month left, and we're out of the money. And so what happened? And so that was their situation. So this is what the Lord says, verse 7. Okay, second time, give careful thought to your ways. Pay attention, sit up, think about your life. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber. Go up and cut down the trees, bring down timber, and build the house. That's the temple. Build the house so that I may take pleasure in it. I'll be pleased with that, and I'll be honored, says the Lord. Now he talks a little bit more about their situation. You expected much. You know, you came back to the land of Israel. You planted this summer. You expected much. But see, it turned out to be little. And the catch is, what you brought home, I blew away. Now, interesting. We're moving beyond a bad economy now, right? What we're saying is God's saying, I am personally destroying your finances. You brought it home, I blew it away, which is where we get the modern expression to be blown away. Okay, verse, uh, gosh, you're so slow. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Okay, and the other two services on that. All right. Okay, so, and I blew it away. So he says, so why did I blow it away? Declares the Lord, he says, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. And he keeps coming back. That's the issue, issue of priorities. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. Catch this. I called for a drought. Again, God is saying this is not just circumstantial. It's not just bad luck or hard times. So I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine, and the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. So God says, I'm the one behind this financial downturn in your life. Okay, so now, so God's kind of laid it out here. Here's the problem, priorities. 
And, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, this is what you're going to expect to hear next. So they took Haggai out and they stoned him and killed him. This is how the Old Testament normally reads. God raises up a prophet, says you're off track, get back in line, and normally they mock them, they ridicule them, they kill them, or maybe they throw them in a muddy pit like an old well, like Jeremiah. They do something, but they don't respond. And yet here, maybe it's because they'd learned their lesson after seven years of exile in Babylon. Don't mess with God. That's the lesson, you know? Maybe because, but for whatever reason, it's one of the most beautiful verses in the Old Testament that for once in their life, God says, you're wrong. And instead of killing the messenger, they say, you're right. We're wrong. I mean, there's no excuses. There's no rationalization. There's no justification, there's no compromise, there's no procrastination. It's just like, you are right. We're out of line. We're out of whack. It's a beautiful thing. So verse 12, look look at this response. So Zerubbabel, remember he's the political leader, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, remember he's the spiritual leader, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, all the people, they obey the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. And so for once in their life, they do it right. It's beautiful. Wouldn't it be great if the whole Old Testament just read like this? But for once, they just get it. God, you're right. We're wrong. We will obey. Beautiful. So now in verse 13, once they respond to God, God speaks to the prophet Haggai again with another message. And here comes the message, verse 13. So Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave them this message of the Lord to the people. And just four short words. I am with you. Now that may not seem like a lot at this point, but as we see later on, this is the one most important word that we need God to speak over each of our lives. That God is with us. We'll talk more about that. So, Next, verse 14, so the Lord stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the political leader, and he stirs up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, the spiritual leader, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And so once they obey, God steps in to start changing their heart from the inside out, and he begins to stir them up. And so what do they do? They come, and they begin to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, and it's the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. And so put write down this date, September 21st, 520 B.C. So, so the message is delivered August 29th, about three weeks later, September 21st. They're ready to go. The message is delivered. They get it. You're right. We're wrong. We will obey. We're, our best guess is it probably took three weeks to kind of get their you know, affairs in order so they can start rebuilding the temple. And boom, they're, they're on it. Okay, so that's the story. Now, What I'd like to do now is spend some time talking about what I'm calling the priority principles because obviously the purpose of a study as we go through this opening uh, weeks of the year, the whole purpose is not just to learn a history lesson on Israel. The purpose is to say, okay, so what are the priority principles for our life? What does it look like to make God priority one? And so there's some great lessons here for us. And so I'm going to highlight four priority principles. They're just great. Okay, so if you uh, got your note sheet there, you see that section on your note sheet, let's jump in. Number one, first thing that jumps out at me is, is that when our priorities drift, 
And, and we're all going to experience this. You're going to drift. I'm going to drift. We're all going to drift because we're following people. Our hearts are prone to wander. We're all going to drift. But here's the good news. When our priorities drift, God will bring us back. In other words, if you've committed your life to Jesus, you're a Christ follower, that the, the Holy Spirit is in you, and, and when we start drifting in terms of our priorities, the Holy Spirit is always going to come after us. He's always going to try to bring us back. Now, if, if we're paying careful attention to our lives, like he said to do, give careful thought to your life, if we're paying attention, it won't take a lot to get our attention. There's a great passage in Psalm 32, I think it is, it's, it's not on your note sheet or anything, but you might just write it down, Psalm 32, where, where God says to David at one point in his life, he says, David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you. I'm going to guide you in your life. He says, don't be like the horse or mule that have to have a bridle in their mouth. You know, that, that if you want to hear my voice I, and you're getting off track, I'll speak to you. I'll get you back. Don't be like a horse that have to jerk around. And, and so when we get off track, you can expect the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to us to bring us back on track in the area of our priorities. But here's the point, that often we are not listening. And so when that happens, the way that God usually brings us back is with the four-letter word called pain, right? This is how he gets our attention. And, uh, and, and so it's much like a parent does. You know, if you have a, a child, I don't care if it's three or 15 or whatever, um, if you have a child and you see your son or daughter getting off track in an area that's going to hurt them, you know, what do you do? Just say, well, you know, good luck, God bless you. No, I mean, if you love them, you're going to try to bring some discipline in their life to get them back on track, right? Because you, you love them and you want the best for them. And so same in our lives is that when we start getting off track, God will reach in, and if we're not paying attention, he'll use pain to do it to get us back on track. Now, in their lives, at this point, this story, the pain that he uses is the pain of finances, which is, uh, frankly, a very effective tool, right? Because if you can't pay the bills, what do you do? You start praying. Okay, so, so God, I need your help here. And so it's very effective, but God has many ways to get us back on track. He's really, he's really excellent in the whole pain department. Right? He has several different tools at his disposal. So, for example, uh, let's say you're a single adult, and, and you're a Christ follower, and you, and you know what Jesus says, that if you're a Christ follower, you're single, and you want to date, you need to date someone who is also walking with me, also a Christ follower. And yet you get, you get impatient, and, well, there's no one out there that meets that criteria, and I'm lonely, and so we get impatient. So what do we do? We begin to compromise, and, well, well, maybe he'll come to Christ, or maybe she'll turn around if I'm a good witness, and this sort of thing. And so we begin to compromise. And so we go through our life and we look back and sometimes we're not paying careful attention. And we're saying, God, why aren't you blessing me? Why aren't you bringing the man that I want to marry? Or why aren't you bringing me the woman that you want me to marry? And we, I've got these four losers and life has been painful. Why aren't you with me? And when God is saying, hey, give careful thought to your life. Stand back and look, you're violating everything I've taught you about relationships, and yet you're asking me to bless you. That's why this pain is here. I'm causing the pain. I, I'm, I'm undercutting these relationships because I love you, you see? And so many times God has a way of bringing pain. So it could be that. It could be um, 
let's say you're married and you're, you're followers of Jesus, but, but you're not really putting God number one. And your vertical relationship with God, we talk, it's not going well. And yet, so what happens? Your marriage begins to fall apart. And it's, what, what's happening? Part of it is God's trying to get your attention here. You know, he's, he's sending a pain. The life's not working out. It can use your job to get your attention. It can use health issues to get your attention. I can go on and on, but God is very creative. He's very good at getting our attention. And the important part is, is that, so here's the lesson, is that when life is not going well, we need to get in the habit of just asking the question, could it be that it's not going well because my priorities are out of whack and that God's trying to get my attention? There you know, Chief, there's a great verse uh, from Proverbs chapter 3, where God talks about this. And it goes like this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. So when God brings his discipline, his pain into our life, there's a couple ways we can respond. One is we can receive it and respond. That's what they did in the story. The other thing we can do is we can despise it. We can reject it. We can get mad at God. He says, so don't do that because... Um, when the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son, he delights in. Now, I want to say something real clearly. Make sure you catch this. I'm not saying that every time that we go through pain in our life, God is disciplining us. Because sometimes we go through pain in our life, and it's just to help us grow. Sometimes we go through pain in our life, and it's really just a fault. It's a result of living in a fallen world. And, and where evil things happen. And there's really, like, God's not trying to tell you something or get you back on track. It's just part of life. But here's the point, is that when we're going through a tough time in our lives and life is just not working out, we need to get in the habit of asking the question, is it possible that God is trying to get my attention and get me back on track? And God, is there anything you want to say to me here? I want to give careful thought to my life. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's where we have to start. Number two. Second principle. The second principle in this whole area of priorities um, goes like this. One of our greatest dangers when it comes to priorities, one of our greatest dangers is procrastination. Okay, so, so God comes into our lives, and he brings some pain to get our attention, and, and hopefully that we will respond the right way. We'll respond like Israel did in this situation. God delivers the message, hey, this is why financially your lives are a mess, because you've put your own purposes above mine. You need to go up, get the timber, get back to business, and then things are going to work out. And, and they said, great, you know, we, we get it, we will obey. Beautiful. That's how we should respond. The danger is, is that many times when God brings his discipline into our life, that instead of responding like that, we can often respond with excuses. We respond with rationalizations. We respond with justifications. We respond with compromises. And one of the biggest dangers of all is we respond with procrastination. Now, this is what their history had been. I want you to take a look at this in chapter 1 and verse 2. I pointed out this verse when we went through. I want to come back to it, unpack it a little bit. 
So this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Now catch this. They've been back in the land. How long? 15 years. They started the rebuild project 15 years ago. It's been 15 years, and yet they're saying the time has not yet come. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think if you were there, if you were to ask them, if you were to say, okay, Israel, hey, I notice this temple's not being rebuilt. Do you think that it's your job to rebuild that temple? They would have said, well, of course. Well, do you think it's important to rebuild the temple? Absolutely. Do you plan on building the temple? Yes, we do. But it's just not the right time. See? Okay, so this becomes one of the biggest dangers in the area of priorities. That God comes to us and he speaks to us about an area of my life. This is why your life isn't working. Here's the issue. And one of the biggest dangers of the spiritual life is that we agree with God, but we procrastinate with doing it. And it's one of Satan's biggest temptations because he knows if he comes to us and says, uh, hey, why don't you just blow God off completely? We're going to go, no, are you kidding me? We need to build the temple. That's important. We believe that. And so we're not going to blow him off completely. But so what Satan comes is, well, why don't you just spend some time and think about this? I mean, it's a great project. We all agree. But let's just kind of put it on hold. It's not the right time. Okay, so here's what happened. So Haggai is preaching his sermon. Let's, let's play out a different scenario. Haggai's preaching his sermon. You need to be able to temple. Here's the deal. And they walk away and they go home after church that day. And they say, what a powerful sermon. Can you believe it? God's raised up a new prophet in the land. Haggai, did you hear him? He spoke with authority. This is awesome. I hope he comes back. We loved having him at church today. It was amazing. That guy was spot on. Did you hear him? I was taking notes the whole thing. It was incredible. You know, are you ready to build yet? Well, it's not quite time yet, but man, he was spot on. Right? And so we, we do the same thing. We come to church, man. Way to go, Mike. Man, you laid it on the line. God was speaking to me. I was filling up my note sheet. It was awesome. I could sense God speaking through you. God was speaking to my heart. So what are you going to do? Well, it's not quite time. You see how we do this? And, and so let me, let me just give you some kind of practical examples. So, so you're, the, you're the, uh, the couple, you know, and you're living together. And you know God said you shouldn't be living together. You need to get married or you need to, you know, and you, and you, you know that whole thing. And so you say, God's really speaking to me. He's convicting me on this. I know I need to make that change. And so are you going to plan to do that? Well, no, we can't afford it right now. God comes to a man and he says, hey, your family's falling apart. Your wife needs you. Your children need you. You're throwing yourself complete in your job. You're neglecting your whole family aspect. And he says, man, that is so convicting. Thank you for sharing that. I sense God speaking to you. Man, that is awesome. I'm with you 100%. So you're going to change? Well, in two years, once I get that next promotion, you see, it's just not the right time right now. A couple in marriage is falling apart. We were so convicted. We need to do something about this. Yes, this is important for our future. We do need to get counseling. We need to take action. So are you going to do that? Well, we're not quite ready. You see? And it becomes one of the greatest spiritual dangers of our life. And I'll tell you why it's so dangerous. Because we fool ourselves. We think we're obeying when we actually are just agreeing. You see? So since we agree with what God's saying, we think we're obeying. 
But to agree without obey is disobedience. And see, one of the greatest temptations in life is the sin of procrastination. God, great message, got that right there, but not quite time, and that's what they're doing. Now, here's the problem. Guess what happens when we agree with God, but we don't act? Well, God increases the pain, right? This is what happened to their forefathers, why they spent 70 years in the land of Babylon. Because God had spoken over and over, they finally wouldn't listen. He said, okay, that's it. Your nation's going to get destroyed. And that's what would have happened to Israel in Haggai's day if they hadn't obeyed. Do you think their crops were going to turn around if they said, great message, we'll get to it? No, the reason their lives are about to change is because they heard what God said and they obeyed. You know, one of, uh, one of my favorite authors, I know a lot of you love him too, is Oswald Chambers. And he wrote a lot of great books, but the one he's most famous for is his daily devotional. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. One of those entries, he, uh, he writes about the story of Abraham. You know in the Old Testament, the story of Abraham? And it's the end of his life, and, and he's a man of faith, and he's trusted God his whole life, and now there comes his biggest test of all. God comes one day and says, I want you to take your son right now, your son Isaac, the one you love, the, the son that is the, the heir of all the promises I've made you, and I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Now, God wasn't really going to have him sacrifice his son. He just needed to know if uh, Abraham was going to make him priority one in his life. And so Abraham just, he knocks the ball out of the park. I mean, God speaks to him, and the next day he gets up, saddles up the donkeys, gets a service, says, okay, we're on our way. It's a three-day journey. Time to get going. He, he doesn't postpone. He just immediately obeys. And so Oswald's writing on that particular event in, in the version of the Bible he was reading at the time, it, it says, take now your son. And so here's what he says. There on your note sheet, there's a, a quote from Oswald. He says, God's command is, take now, not presently. You know that word presently? Presently is like an old English way of saying uh, in the near future. He says, God's command is take now, not presently. It's extraordinary how we debate. We know a thing is right, but we try to find excuses for not doing it at once. To climb to the height that God shows can never be done presently. It must be done now. So when God shows you what the problem is, it's not time to pray about it. In fact, Satan would love it if you pray about it. Once you know what God is calling you to do, Satan will encourage you to pray about it. Did you know that? So I, I'm not sure, you know, it's such a big decision. You might want to pray about this more. Oh, good idea. No, no, no. When we pray after God has clearly spoken, that prayer becomes an act of disobedience. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Well, oh, let me just pray about this. No, when God has shown you clearly, and you know in your heart what God has wanted you to do, I'm telling you, to pray about it is an act of disobedience. And the longer that you persist in disobedience, your clarity on what God has said will get less and less and less. See, when God speaks and we don't listen, the lights turn out. And then you know, three weeks later, a month later, well, was that really me or was it God? I can't really tell. Maybe I'll just pray about it some more, you see. All right, so that's the second principle. 
the, our, our, uh, the, 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 uh, one of our greatest, uh, greatest dangers is procrastination. And number three, number three goes like this. So if our greatest danger is procrastination, well, our greatest need in this area of priorities, our greatest need is his presence, God's presence. Now, of course, we're talking in this series all about priorities, and when it comes down to it, our greatest priority in life is to experience God's presence, his power, his leading, his guiding, his protection, his success in our life. We, more than anything else, your life and my life, we need God to be with us on this journey. Now, great story. Go back to the start of the day. So Moses is on the mountain. God's ready to wipe out the people. Uh, Moses prays, God, don't do that. Let's not do that. And God says, okay. And um, so the next day, God comes to Moses. And he says, okay, I've been thinking about this. I've, I've forgiven the people. But I want you to know from this point on in the journey, I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel with you. He'll take care of all your needs. But uh, I'm not personally going with you because I, I think I've seen enough. And, and Moses is just, uh, he's floored. Uh, he, he just goes weak in the knees. He, he's like, oh, no, no, no. Wait a second. Um, God, if you're not going to go with us, if you're not going to go with me, I think you need to find a new leader. Because if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. Now, I remember when God called Lynn and I to this church. And it was really clear. I remember having this conversation with the Lord several times. Okay, I'm willing to go, but only if you go with me. Because if you're not going with me, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that role. I don't want to be leading that church. Because the worst place in the world is to be leading a church if God's not with you. And so uh, it's too big a responsibility, too many people, there's too much long-term impact. God, if you're not going to go with me, I'm not going to go. And you know what? For every one of our lives, that's the truth. If God's not with you in your life, you might as well close up shop. It's the greatest need in our life is to experience the presence of God. And here's what Moses said that day. He said, God, if you're not with us, how will the world know that this nation is any different than all the other nations? And he said, if you're not with me, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me as a leader? And if you're not with us as a nation, how will they know we're not, you're, you're pleased with us? This is the greatest need in our life, to have God go with us on our journey through life, with us to bless, to protect, to lead, to guide, to strengthen. And so, of course, God answers him that day. The story is in Exodus 33, if you want to check it out later. But in Exodus 33, and this is a quote, here's what God says, quote, he answers Moses' prayer, he says, my presence will go with you. That's a quote. He says, okay, Moses, I agree. My presence will go with you. So, crisis in Moses' life. Well, guess what? In Haggai's day, it was the same exact crisis. The crisis, but the, the problem was in Haggai's day, they didn't realize it. You see, when they first came back from to the promised land, God was with them in powerful ways, really clear. God was with them. But now it's 15 years later, and guess what? God has moved out. He is no longer with them, but the sad thing is they don't even realize it. 
Now, can I tell you something? It's a sad day in our life when Jesus moved out of our life 15 years ago, and we're still living off stories of the past. We think he's with us, and he isn't, and we can't figure out where's the presence, where's the power, where's the blessing, and he's not with us, and that's what happened to them. He'd moved out. I want you to look at something, but now he's moving back in because God challenged them and said, here's what you need to do to get back on track, and they obeyed in verse 12. So right away they obey, and look what happens. The moment they obey, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gets a second message from the Lord, and here's what he says, four short words, I am with you. Now, that may not seem like a lot to you. Like, isn't there something else, God? <laughs> and we just repent it. Can't you just give us a promise, a blessing? Can you promise us that you'll guide us? Could you promise us you'll strengthen us? Can you promise us you'd lead us, empower us, protect us? I just did. I told you I'd be with you. You see, in the Bible, those four words, those are code words for all the above. It's like biblical code words. And I want to take a couple seconds to talk about this because it's a very powerful principle. So the first time in the Bible that those words are used, I'll be with you, is in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 3. And all these passages I'm using plus more on your note sheet. That's why there's so many if you want to check this out later. But so here's, here's the situation. Uh, God speaks him to Isaac. Abraham starts the, the, the Jewish race, has a son named Isaac. Isaac grows up. He's living in the land of Palestine. It's, they're facing a major famine. He's tempted to go back to Egypt. And God shows up and says, don't do that. Stay here and trust me. I'll take care of you. In fact, your descendants will inherit the land. He says, because I am with you. First time in the Bible those, that phrase is used. So Isaac has two kids, Jacob and Esau. They get in a fight. Older brother Esau wants to kill younger brother. Sounds like your house, but this is for real. And so Jacob's now running for his life. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And God appears to him in a dream that night. And he says, Jacob, I know you're scared to death. You're running from your brother. I know you're the mama's boy and he's the archer. <laughs> but he says, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you on this journey. I'm going to take you back. I'm going I'm to bring you back. I'm going to bless your life. He says, because I am with you. Jacob has <clears throat> 12 sons. Next to the youngest son, Joseph. Joseph, hated by his brothers, thrown into, uh, sold into slavery, thrown into prison. His life's falling apart. And yet he ends up rising to the second in command of the superpower of the day, Egypt. And over and over in the Jacob story, you'll see these words, for God was with him. You move forward a few hundred years. God appears to a man named Moses at the burning bush, first time he introduces himself. And he says, I got this project for you. I want you to go to the promise, I'm go back to Egypt. I want you to take the nation who are slaves, take them out of Egypt, bring them back, rescue them from the superpower of the world. It seemed impossible. God's words to him, don't worry about it. I will be with you. Moses leads them out. He dies. Joshua takes the reins. It's time to move into the promised land. Joshua's scared to death of this project. God shows up and says, Joshua, do not be afraid. I will be with you. You move forward a couple hundred years. Israel's in the promised land, but they're disobedient. The Midianites are, 
are just beating them up like crazy, God appears, uh, sends an angel to appear to, uh, to a young man named Gideon, a kind of a no-name guy. Angel shows up and says, Hail, mighty warrior. God is with you. You move forward a couple hundred years. It's time for David to come on the scene. Tremendous victories. He wants to build a temple for God. The prophet Nathan comes and says, Whatever's in your heart to do, you go for it because God is with you. You move in a thousand years. The, the, there's a, a young teenage girl named Mary. Angel Gabriel shows up and says, You're going to have a baby. It's going to be the Son of God. It's going to be a miracle. Don't be afraid, Mary, because God is with you. And that little boy grows up and he becomes Jesus and Savior of the world. And he comes to the end of his life. He's ready to leave planet Earth. And once he calls his men around him, he says, Your job is to change this world. You got a message, you got a movement. And I want you to go out there. And he says, And, and I promise you this. I will be with you. You catching the drift? And so, so this is like Bible code. When God says that I will be with you, it means I am with you in power. I'm with you to protect. I'm with you to guide. I'm with you to lead. You see? And, and here's the point I want you to catch. This is the top priority in our life is what does it take to get God to be with you? in your life. Because it's what we need more than anything else. It's what we need in our marriages. It's what we need in our friendship. It's what we need in our finances. It's what we need in our spiritual life. It's what we need in our physical life. We need God to be with us. So what's it take? And the lesson we learn is that from these people here is all it takes is a surrender of our life to make God priority what? Because he had not been with them for 15 years, but the moment they obeyed and said, we will follow and make you priority one, what did God say? I will be with you again. I've been gone for 15 years. I'm back. And furthermore, it even gets better than that because in chapter two of Haggai, we fast forward now about a month. They started building in September. It's now October. They're four weeks into the project, but they're getting discouraged. They don't have the resources. There's way more rubble than they thought. They don't have the money to finance it. There's some of the old timers there who'd actually seen the original temple. And they're saying, man, this, this one doesn't even compare to the old one. And everyone's getting depressed and discouraged. They want to quit. And God sends a message to those people through Haggai. And I want you to see what he says. Chapter 2 and verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, you political leader. And be strong, O Joshua, remember, high priest, spiritual leader. And be strong, all you people of the land, and work. They're just stay at it. You keep working on, on this temple. Catch this. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And catch this. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. When you were back there at Mount Sinai and you disobeyed me and Moses came before me. And he said, I don't want to go forward unless your presence goes with us. He said, God said, I promise then I will be with you. And you've been disobedient and I've moved back, but now you're being obedient again. So now, once again, I want you to know that it might look like you don't have all the resources. It might look like you don't have the money. It might not look like it's too big a job, but don't you worry because I am with you. And look what he says next. And my spirit 
remains among you, so do not fear. And so this is the one thing we need in our life more than anything else. What does it take to experience the presence of God? Whatever it takes you in your life. We're going to talk this more next week. But whatever it takes, whatever's getting in your way, you got to deal with it. And once you do, then God will be with you. It's what we need more than anything else. Now, one last principle, number four. Number four goes like this. Uh, when we step out to obey, God steps in to change us. When we step out to obey, God steps in to change us. There's kind of one more step in this process. So Israel has gotten off track in their priorities. God has brought discipline in their life to get their attention. They've responded, not procrastinated, that no excuses, they just obeyed. God is now with them again. And so, but there's one more important step, and it comes in verse 14. Chapter 1 and verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, and he stirs up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and he stirs up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, and they come and they begin to work on the house of the Lord. So here's what's going on here. We talk a lot here about this principle, that, that Christianity is a message is about God changing you from the inside out. We talked about this a couple weeks ago at the start of the series, that when it comes to our passion, if you want God to be your first love, if you want God to be your deepest passion, if you want God to be your highest purpose, we talked about this, you can't create passion, you can't generate passion, you can't change your heart, only God can change your heart. And so I want you to catch this here. God understands that. And so the moment they step out and obey, what does God do? He begins to stir their hearts. You see? He begins to say, okay, let me take that heart of you. And, and, you, and so you picture like kind of a big butter churner or, or some kind of a mixing bowl with a big spoon. And he begins to stir their hearts. He begins to quicken their passions. He begins to stir them up. He begins to say, okay, here's my passion, what you want need to be doing. You need to be seeking me first and build the temple. Let me stir your heart so that becomes your passion, you see? And so God doesn't require of us that we change our own passions. He requires that we obey. And once we step out to obey, he steps in to change our hearts. Isn't that great? It's an awesome principle. And so it's exactly what happens. Now, there's a passage here on your note sheet from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, where a prophet is speaking to King Asa. And it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth. In other words, God is looking throughout the whole world. What's he looking for? He's looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for men and women who are willing to follow him completely, make him priority one, why? So that he can step in and strengthen their hearts. He can stir up their hearts, you see? This is exactly what happened to Zerubbabel. It's exactly what happened to Joshua. It's what happened to the people. They made the commitment, okay, our hearts are going to be fully committed to you. We are going to obey you. And God says, great, then I'm going to step in and I'm going to strengthen your heart. This is one of Satan's last ploys with us. When you get to the point in your life where God is speaking and he's saying, hey, you're off track here and that's why your life isn't working and this is what you need to do to get back track and you're, you're considering it. You're like, okay, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should take that step of faith and maybe I should take that action. And you're considering, guess what? Satan comes in and he says, 
hey, I wouldn't uh, be so quick on that because if you take that step, you may be able to follow Jesus for one day, but let's face it, you know your heart, I know your heart, you don't have a passion for Jesus, you're not going to be able to maintain that passion. And so why don't you just quit now while you're ahead instead of trying to do it and then fall back and do it and fall back? And it's his last attempt to keep you from following. It's the fear of your own heart. And what God is saying here is we don't have to be afraid of our own heart because it's not our job to change it. Our job is just to follow. His job is to change our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? It's just a, it's a beautiful message. So here's my question. As we continue on this series, as I said, this first part of the, the year, and talking about priorities, that I want to make this first month or six weeks or whatever it is, I want to spend this first part of the year focusing in on what does it look like to make God priority one. I told you every week, this is a journey we're on. Every week we're going to be looking at our lives. We're going to be coming before, what does that look like? So here's the question this week. The question is, is there any area of your life that's absolutely falling apart right now? And, and you haven't put two and two together. You've not realized to this point that it's because your priorities are off that your life is falling apart. But as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, and you're, seeing, you're connecting the dots, and it's, it's getting clear for you. It, the question is, is it possible that your life is falling apart because your priorities are wrong, just like with them? And, so, and if that's true, and if you sense that is true, then, then God's word to you today is to act on it. Don't excuse it. Don't rationalize it. Don't procrastinate it. Just act on it. And once you do... God will step in. God will be with you. He'll bring his power, his presence, his connection to your life. And then he'll begin to stir up your heart so that your passions will match his. Let's pray to God. Father, we are thankful for this little book, just two little chapters, and yet power-packed with principles about making you priority one. And so, God, we come. We want to be that church. We want to be your followers that are passionate about you. We want you to be our deepest first love and our deepest passion, our highest purpose. And we realize we can't do that on our own, but we can obey. We can listen and obey. And so we pray that you be speaking to us in our life. If there's something in our life that is causing our life to be messed up and we just haven't put two and two together, would you show us today or this week what that is? Would you bring it to our attention? And then give us the courage to do what they do, to step out and obey so we can experience your presence coming back to our life and our passions being changed from the inside out. We pray this in your name. Amen.